Welcome to Saving the Game. This is Episode 5, Charity, Part 2 of our Virtues and Vices series, recorded Tuesday, August 7th of 2012, with your hosts, Grant, Peter, and Brandon. Welcome to Saving the Game. My name's Grant. I'm Peter. And I'm still Brandon. Excellent. He's still with us. Yes. We didn't lose him on the side of the road or anything. No. As much as they tried after all of the havoc I caused last. Eh, you were fine. You were fine. Besides, you're editing the havoc, so... <laughs> That's right. You may not hear any of the havoc, listeners, because we haven't got the final episode from Brandon yet after the editing. Okay, there have been issues, but... It'll no, be yeah, well. It's fine. Editing is editing. It's, it's always difficult. If it wasn't, it wouldn't be editing. Yeah. So, Grant, I hear there's some special news, which is why we're recording this on an odd day. Yeah. As of pretty much this time tomorrow, actually, we'll be leaving for the hospital to start the process of getting this baby born. So, I will probably be out the next couple of episodes. We actually were scheduled to go in today, and... um, my wife, being awesome, was like, yeah, no, you should record from the hospital room. It'll be hilarious. Be like, oh, yeah, she's in labor over there, but she's doing fine. I'm just recording a podcast. We know what's more important. Well, sir, would you like to hold the baby? No, 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 recording. Recording. No, recording. <laughs> yeah. Background noise. Can you silence those beeping machines? Yeah. No. She's getting induced, so tomorrow night, which would have been tonight wouldn't actually have been labor. It's just sort of the, the process of getting it started and that sort of thing. Which is why it was okay. Honestly, tomorrow night's going to be oddly boring. We're just going to be sitting around and she's going to be taking medicine and then waiting for it to kick in. But all of that said, yes, having I think, our firstborn child, and it's going to be awesome. I, so. I think that is the first time I've ever heard the miracle of childbirth being described as oddly boring. I usually described it here described as a whole lot of pain, suffering, and screaming. Yes, but we don't. It's not getting to that point yet. It's the any time now, kid. Uh, Come on. Yeah, it's uh, the actual childbirth itself. I'm sure will not be boring, but the waiting for it yeah. is like waiting for anything else. Yeah, the waiting for the medicines to kick in and the hormones to start doing their job and all that. So, in honor yeah. of the waiting, are you going to be naming the child Godot? No. Also, I hate you. Your puns are just... Ow. No. Brain. Which I suppose is only fair. I don't know if that Uh, was a pun and more a very obscure reference. It's not really obscure. I mean, everybody knew the drama kid in high school, right? I was the drama kid in high school. See? Shocking! (laughs) Oh, who couldn't have told with my, like, 40-page script I'm making you both read? Yeah. Yeah. Anyway... So, yes, having a child, which means I've got a lot to do, so we should get right down to this, kids. Absolutely. Okay, so tonight's topic is charity, kind of as the complement slash contrast to uh, last episode, which we recorded about greed. We've got a couple of good scripture verses here. Do we want to just kind of run down the line? Absolutely, that'll work. All right, the first batch of scripture is Luke 21, 1 through 4. This is from the New King James Version. And he looked and saw the rich putting their gifts into the treasury, and he also saw a certain poor widow putting in two mites. So he said, Truly I say to you that this poor widow has put in more than all, 
For all these out of their abundance have put in offerings for God, but she out of her poverty put in all the livelihood she had. 1 John 3.17 from the New King James Version But whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? And our third verse is 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 13, also New King James Version. And now abide faith, hope, and love, these three. But the greatest of these is love. In fairness, I should note that the entirety of 1 Corinthians chapter 13 is a very valuable piece of scripture when we're talking about Christian love and charity. If you aren't familiar with it, I encourage you after this podcast, take a look at it, read that chapter. You'll find a lot of good information in there from Paul. So, we are doing this series on the seven heavenly virtues. Traditionally, those seven virtues are categorized by Catholic catechism into two categories. The cardinal virtues, which are prudence, justice, temperance, and courage, all of which are Aristotelian and not really inherently Christian virtues, but useful and important ones. They're ones that any virtuous person, whether secular or Christian, sort of understands. The other three, the theological virtues, are faith, hope, and love. Charity is another word that we use for Christian love, love in the Christian sense. Again, you hear St. Paul talking in 1 Corinthians, describing charity, Christian love, uh, the Greek word being agape, describing that as the greatest of these virtues. And it's important to note that agape is what you may have referred to as unconditional love. Unconditional, selfless love. Charity, when we talk about charity here, we're going to sort of talk about it in its limited modern sense, which is just to mean benevolent giving and its real Christian sense, what makes it a virtue, which is, well, it's somewhat complicated, but it's a a matter of the will. Charity is not simply about giving, but giving is the easiest way to show love to others, to help others, to give from yourself to someone else in need. It's easiest to give material goods. It's the showiest, like you heard in Luke 21... And so it often gets reduced to... It's concrete as well. It's concrete, and, you know, it's tax-deductible and encouraged. Pass the offering plate around. It's easy to do and can sort of be done and forgotten about. I don't want to say that it's unimportant, but it is a restricted subsection of Christian charity. Christian charity is selfless love for others. And that goes quite a bit further than just dropping a few bucks in the plate on Sunday morning. Yeah. It's not just liking people. And it should be pointed out, it's not necessary to like someone or have any emotional attraction to somebody in order to love them in the Christian sense. Uh, It's sometimes easier to do. Sometimes harder, but sometimes easier. Okay. And it's interesting that often when we start really loving other people in the Christian sense, we also find that natural emotional attraction to that person increasing as we understand the person more. But it's not an emotion thing. It's really a matter of the will. That state of the will, and this is quoting C.S. Lewis here, that state of the will which we have naturally about ourselves and must learn to have about other people. 
C.S. Lewis describes a process in mere Christianity that I think is instructive. We're told by Christ to love each other as we love ourselves. And Lewis starts off describing this by saying, how do we love ourselves? Brandon, how do we love ourselves? How do you love you? How do I love me, etc.? Well, this is... Because it's, it's not just, well, I think I'm a good person. I'll take that one if, uh, if you're okay, feeling a little it. stumped, Brandon. Yeah. We do that by, yeah. uh, by taking care of our needs, by making sure that, you know, we get, you know, the stuff that our physical body needs, like sleep and food. If we are suffering from some kind of an illness, we compensate for that and make sure that we're taking actions or not taking them a lot of the time that will allow the healing process to go faster. We we take care of our financial situation so that we can afford the things that we need. We go through and try and make sure that our own emotional needs are met. So we cultivate relationships with other people that are beneficial to us. I know, Grant, you and I are married, and Brandon, you're uh, in a committed relationship right now. So mm-hmm. that, you know, that sort of thing is, uh, while you're obviously loving the other person too, that is beneficial to you or you would have probably not sought that out. Right. Everything you've described is all about sort of wishing your own good. Yep. Right? Absolutely. But in our best moments, when we most clearly understand ourselves, we don't usually like ourselves. It's it's in those clearest moments we sort of go, ugh, no, I should not have done that. I am not that good a person. But we instantly... You know, we forgive ourselves for those sins that we've done and move on. Try and say, okay, we'll do better next time and learn from that and progress towards being a better person. Some um, of us with a greater level of success than others. <laughs> well, yeah, well, there's that. Go ahead. On this whole loving someone else, it's really... The relationship I'm in right now, I think, is probably the longest relationship I've ever had, and it's coming upon a year right now. Mm-hmm. And it has really now showed me what it actually means to love someone else because of my girlfriend has some issues that she has to deal with that are perfectly understandable. And because of the way things have happened in the past, like a lot of times she's asking me to forgive her for a whole bunch of different things. And all instantly I just think, done, it's, it, you know, it just happens. Right. It's not that you hold it against them. You want them to be the best person they can be, and you say, of course, yes, you're moving towards something better than that. That's what Christian love is. That's what charity is. It's giving of yourself to help other people be better and meet their needs. It's really giving of yourself to help others achieve where they're lacking. Right. If somebody is hungry, you feed them. If somebody is broke, you see if you can give them a few bucks. If somebody is, you know, sick, you try and take care of them. Charity, I would say, is putting other people before yourself. I might not particularly want to go out and do this because you are wanting to go out and do this. I'm going to go and do this for you. Like Sure. Yeah, that's definitely a, a yeah, that part is, of it. That is definitely one of the primary aspects, for sure. Yeah, there's obviously some nuance to that. Yes. Well, I didn't want to go out and kick puppies tonight, but eh, you want to. <laughs> right? Obviously, you have to apply some understanding to this. Nothing's ever simple, but 
Yeah, you're you're on to something there where it's. I really didn't feel like robbing banks, but they did, so I went along. <laughs> yeah, you know. Well, if I was dating, you know, Bonnie from Bonnie and Clyde, then maybe, but I'm not. Well, yeah, but see, in that case, our sense of Christian charity again—it's wishing the best for other people and helping others be better people. That's where charity would say to us, "We need to step in. Maybe don't rob a bank. Yes. Maybe turn them in. Is that the best for them?" And the best for others. Maybe just talk them out of robbing the bank, if that's possible. Right. Oh, yeah. Well, it's true. It's my whole debate about how does God love us, and in mm. reflection of parents. Our parents might not always do what we think is best. They might not always give us a piece of cake, but that's because they know that we really need to eat our broccoli first. And that's also why a lot of parents punish children in, they aren't doing it because they hate the child for what they've done, it's because if we don't teach the child that sticking things into the electrical socket is bad, then something worse will happen. Exactly. And again, we're using a lot of examples of people that we're close to, that we have that emotional attraction to already. That kind of comes naturally whenever you start talking about this topic. It does, but it certainly goes past that because somebody who's needy I think rather than needy, we should say in need, because needy implies a certain emotional insecurity. I'll give you that. Someone who is in need, who's lacking that first level of Maslow's hierarchy of needs, food and clothing and shelter, someone lacking those things is so focused on that, those material goods, it's very difficult in many cases for them to think about what God wants for them. And again, it's the easiest opportunity for us to step in and say, here, here's something from me for you. C.S. Lewis once wrote that if our charities do not pinch and hamper us, then we're probably giving too little. And I think there's some important, something important in that. Uh, that first scripture verse that we recited there, uh, Luke 21, 1-4, Truly I say to you that this poor widow has put in more than all. What Lewis is describing there and what Grant has alluded to is something that's commonly known in Christian circles as sacrificial giving. You're intentionally doing without something that you would like to have or that would be pleasurable to you so you can do more good in the world. And I think it's required of us, basically. I myself am not always the greatest at it. I tend to take care of my own needs a lot of the time first. Yeah, I think if I had to nail down which of these virtues is among my weakest charity is probably one of them. I'm very nervous about material stability, and thus I'm always finding reasons not to give to other people. Especially money. Goods I'm actually a little bit mentally easier with. Money, I have trouble giving up. Yeah. And I think it's because I don't have enough faith to just trust that God will provide. Well, and I think part of the danger with with money is it does funny things to relationships sometimes. Yeah. And I think probably one of the better ways around that particular issue is to give it anonymously. Sure. And there's any number of ingenious ways of pulling that off depending on the context. Yeah, and giving to established charities and the like is certainly good, but in my personal life... Actually, that's not true. Actually, paying for other people and giving money to people in my personal life I find a little bit easier, maybe because I don't have a lot of the loose relationships. I'm just close to a small number of people, like so many introverts. And we're back to the introvert thing, folks. Yes, well, it's true. Yeah. Same here, though. But I, I, I think there's some validity there. You know, it's... Yeah. I find it easier to give 
to people I know and trust and like and spend time with as opposed to just random person on the street. Yeah. Yeah, you seem like a nice guy, you know. As for the whole giving to charities and stuff like that and being charitable to others, there is something, as we've been discussing, that hit me, and it's a conversation I had in a class about helping homeless people, like the people who are on the street who are begging for money. Mm -hmm. And the one thing that I know my teacher was kind of espousing there was that it's really not good to give them money because A, it doesn't really help them, and B, it just compounds the problem more. They're they're going to go out and use it for something else, and then it'll just attract more people who want more of your money so they can use it for ill things. And so what I'm guessing is the whole giving money to the homeless bum on the street so long as he's going to use it for booze and, you know, drugs is probably not what we would consider Christian charity. However, taking that same person out and getting them a meal, that's one of the more common kind of workarounds of the drug addict charity thing. Yeah, I, I do think, however, that a lack of faith and trust in other people if you assume automatically, well, you're just going to spend it on drugs, that's certainly toxic. Yeah. We are encouraged to have faith and to hope and to love and trust one another. And it may not always be repaid, but that's not an excuse for us to stop giving. I remember seeing one or seeing descriptions of a news report someone did where they went undercover as a homeless person and got money and then claimed that you shouldn't be giving homeless people money because they might be me. How many of you are there in the world? Oh, that's right, one. How many people are there? Seven billion. Yeah. To be fair to that point, I have heard stories about people who pretend to be homeless, then they get in their car and drive away. And while I think that that is a bad thing, I know that it's not our fault and we can't stop giving to legitimate causes because the person who you go and say, hey, I'll go and buy you a hamburger or something like that, if they're a fake homeless person, they're probably not going to go for it because why do they want your hamburger? That's taking money away from their job where they could be sitting out there and earning whatever it is that they're going to be earning. Right. The other thing is, Grant, you said giving to charity and not expecting anything in return. And I'd like to say I I am not focusing on getting anything in return because I would say that that's not actual charity. Giving and expecting something back... That's investment. Yeah, I was going to say the exact same thing. It may be angel investment, but it's still investment. Right. I think it's possible to lend money for a good cause. I know some movements to do microtransaction lending where you give small loans to help people set up a job in a a poorer country where it doesn't take a lot of your money, but it's enough of a loan to get them on a stable income instead of whatever impoverished situation they're in. That sort of thing. And, you know, it's a loan, and maybe it should be a gift instead, but if it's something you can do to give that money over and over, maybe a loan's okay. I don't know. I don't know that that's a question I personally can answer. It's a little beyond my Christian pay grade. Yeah, if you can take that same money and repeatedly cycle it and any profits that you get back from it into the same thing, I think that's probably still charity. I think so. Especially if you can add more and more to the pool that you're generating. And especially if you're not particularly concerned about collecting. Well, there's also the whole thing about a lot of the people who have a, a lot of money, like Bill Gates, have charitable organizations that they have founded with their success. Now, of course, not all of those organizations and not all of the rich people are as benevolent as others, but there are some people there who have done good, useful charities, and then there are people out there who are just 
setting up a charity to boost up their public right. image. You know, look at how much money I'm giving. There's a, a very pharisaical yeah. aspect to that. Yeah. And it goes right back to the first verse we had. Yeah, and I do want to point out real quick that it's not just rich people who set up charities like that. There's a uh, musician in North Carolina who I'm very fond of, David Lamott, who on his tour went down to Guatemala and basically said, wait a minute, it doesn't take a lot. Let me just start my cha- my own charity. And he's been very successful in that because he doesn't bring in a lot of money, but what he's putting that money to doesn't need billions of dollars of investment. The Bill Gates Fund is valuable because it puts money into things that need a lot of money for medical research and that sort of thing. Yeah, and it's interesting too there. Sometimes if you're not able to be charitable with your financial resources for whatever reason, you can certainly be charitable with your time, which to some of us may actually be more valuable. I know it seems like the better compensated people are at work, the more valuable their time is perceived as being. And one thing that my little small town church has been doing for the last several years, I think they actually just finished up with this last trip down, was there was a group of mostly retired guys that would go down to another church of the same denomination down in... Louisiana in the area that had been just demolished by Hurricane Katrina and then hit with the oil slick afterwards. And they were helping to renovate the church itself for that congregation, but they were also going around to various people in the community. Some of them were members of the church, some of them weren't. I know they built a wheelchair ramp. They helped to uh, do some salvage work on some homes that had been severely water damaged and some various other things. And We collected some money to pay for the traveling expenses and stuff for those guys to go down there as part of a special offering, but they weren't really down there giving money. They those people didn't need money. They needed people who could build and fix things. You know, they needed. One of the guys is an older retired engineer who uh, he can fix like anything, (laughs) and that sort of those are great people to know too. Not just because hey, can you fix this for me? It's just impressive. Like, it's oh, yeah. fun to watch them look at something and say, yeah, I know how this works. Yeah. I can do this. Okay, this and this is broken. We need to do this and this. And, like, five minutes later, they've started on it. It's like, whoa. There is something I heard a while back about starving children in Africa and feeding them. And he was a comedian, and he said, there are starving children in your own neighborhood, probably. And that a lot of attention is focused on other ways out there. And he kind of summed up the whole idea of charity in what I feel might be its truest sense of form. There is no cheap, safe, easy, or tax-deductible way to save the world. If you want to make a difference, you're going to have to get your hands dirty. (laughs) That's very true. You kind of allude to an interesting thing about charity. It's often easy for us to fall into the trap of keeping our charities at arm's length. It's easy to send money overseas. Or to another state. It's easy to just give money to an organization and say, yeah, you guys spend that money for me. It's much harder, and I think something we should do to find where that money needs to go yourself. Find a use for it. And to give to that. And I think that's a habit we should encourage in ourselves. Because it takes more willpower and makes us, I think, stronger, better Christians to do that. Well, and I also think that you should be doing that with volunteer time and that sort of yeah. thing, too. I, that reminds me, I was going to say, um, anybody who's done a mission trip or has the opportunity to go on a mission trip, it's the same sort of thing we're talking about. Give of your time as well as your money. And mission trips can be expensive and hard to schedule and stuff. And mm-hmm. for those who can't go out on them, I know 
most churches have some kind of community outreach thing that they do. There's stuff that can be done even in small communities that, while some things are obviously more important than others, good is still good. Yeah, absolutely. We really spent like a good 30 minutes now basically on discussing charity and stuff like that, but we are also a role-playing game podcast, if I am not mistaken, so I think we also want to talk about how to use charity in your game, both around the table and actually in the game world. Yeah. Am I correct? I think you are. All yep. Right. It's good to be correct for once. Hooray! Brandon <laughs> got, got it right. Hooray. <laughs> <laughs> now I get to be a whole lot of incorrect. Alright, let's go. So, charity... Let's Let's start with charity out of game, at the gaming table, in your gaming group, etc. How can we be charitable out of game? Uh, the first the thing that I'm going to do is, uh, it's something that I've had to do a lot as I was one of the few people in my gaming groups that had a car, and that was, I picked up people. I rode share. Mm-hmm. I, you know, drove people to someone else's house so that we could all game. And this is kind of a little less of the whole it might not be perfect charity because I'm definitely getting something out of it, which is the ability to game with my friends. Yeah, but, but I mean, fellowship is not a bad thing, regardless. Yeah. I, I I don't want to say charity should be without reward. I think it should not be done with the intention of getting reward, but ha- you know, a happy result of charity being time with friends. That's oh, certainly a good thing. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's God encouraging more charity in that sense. So if you're looking for a quick and easy... Okay, never mind. i just going against my whole thing I said about charity. But if you're looking, looking for a rather simple way to do some charity around the <laughs> gaming table... Uh, <laughs> yes, um, picking up your friend and giving them a ride to your uh, place for the game night... That's a great way to do. Yeah. Chipping in for food and mm-hmm. stuff like that. Chipping in for food, for gas if you're the guy getting picked up. Or graciously turning down people, chipping in for gas if you know they're financially strapped and you're the one doing the picking up. Yeah. Because they're, they're certainly being charitable, and that's good on them. Yeah. But if you have the opportunity, just kind of be like, no, I got it. And don't make a big deal out of it. That's something I think that should be stressed with any discussion of charity. Grandiose, oh, no, you don't need to pay me anything. I know you're poor and I'm rich. <laughs> you don't want to do that. No. That gets more into charity as a deadly sin that we talked about more pride is yeah. there. Yeah. Pride like, oh. By the way, are you are you enjoying the way that yeah. Smithers is driving today? <laughs> yeah. It doesn't doesn't work well. So yeah, ride sharing, paying for food, bringing dinner, cooking dinner actually if you're hosting. Cuz I'll tell you, cooking dinner it can be a little expensive, but it's a good thing. You're actually I think being charitable twice there. Not only are you spending your time and money on a good meal, what you're cooking at least has the potential to be a lot healthier than pizza from the place down the street that makes sure to coat everything in a liberal layer of grease and fried onions. Wishing the best for others, doing things to be good for them. Yeah, maybe cook a, cook a nice, healthy meal. Not a bad idea. You said if you're hosting, cook a meal. Even if you're not hosting, you could be the one who offers yeah. to come in and cook a meal yeah, for people. good point. Or bring one. Yeah. Or even just bring some, some snacks of some kind. I, I know yeah. for a while, my wife and I were... In fact, I might even put the recipe for this down, but we did like this little... Link um, it in the show yeah, Is this a Nikki yeah, recipe? Because Nikki recipes, I've heard, are awesome. <laughs> yeah, this, this was just like a little kind of improvised bruschetta thing that we did, but 
we brought them once, and we were informed that we had to bring them every week afterwards. Okay, you said the word bruschetta. I, I need a moment. Anyway, getting on to the slightly more challenging things that you can use to manifest charity at the gaming table. How about giving up something that you kind of want for your character in order to facilitate everybody else at the table's fun? Sure. Or giving up I, time, giving up the spotlight to other people. Yeah. Oh, yeah. This is kind of get into the game itself, but I think certainly saying, no, no, you can have that piece of loot, that reward, you can press the button to do the thing. You can be the cool-looking one in this scene. Yeah, you get the awesome hat. You get to be the one who saves the day. You get to be the one who cracks the thing or gets to... Toss the final one-liner at the villain before you take him out or take him to jail or whatever. Not taking the spotlight from other people is, I think, something that's important and can be kind of tricky. And this is especially true if you're playing a character who is good at a lot of stuff. When I play D&D, a lot of times I play a very utilitarian spellcaster who can do everything. You know, he's got a whole book full of options and spells and backup plans and all this sort of stuff, and so... Oftentimes, when somebody else, you know, when, it, when it's their time to be in the spotlight, I kind of have to stop myself, and I'm not always great at this, but I kind of have to stop myself and say, nope, I can do this too, but this is their thing. Let them do it. I've got things I can do that they can't. There's no reason for me to do the things they can't. That right. has happened to me a lot, because I'll play bards, <laughs> and usually the one thing that I really like about bards is, A, they're, you know, buffing everyone and making them better, and are also they're the yeah. talking person. So I tend to monopolize any conversation because I like to talk. I like a little bit of debate and stuff like that. So in my way, I could take a step back and not do that. Really? How did you ever find your way to podcasting? I don't know. Anyway, uh, (laughs) Anyway, but in the group I had when I was a kid, there was a person who was a huge power gamer who also kind of liked doing the utilitarian buffing person mm-hmm. support guy. And because he was a power gamer and would use splat books like Book of Exalted Deeds, he was way Such better a than... a silly book. And it's about good people. <laughs> he was uh, way better than me at everything and would not back yeah. down. So on the flip side of this, his sort of, I guess, greed of the spotlight and something like that really hampered my play style, my, you know, enjoyment of the game. And I, I remember even when I saved him in a scene because I just happened to be the person on the other side of the door and that's what you do in a party. I saved him and he still acted this way and I talked to the GM about it and the GM said, well, then next time don't save him. That's not very charitable. No. no also, at the risk of committing a little bit of pride, I tend to be a very fast thinking, fast-talking, problem-solving kind of person. So a lot of the time, shockingly, that comes in very useful when I'm a player in a role-playing game. The GM has scarcely spat out the problem before my brain has come up with two or three ways of starting to at least mitigate it. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that I have kind of started to be conscious of in a number of gaming groups that I've been in is if I'm going a mile a minute and I've got some other less aggressive, less assertive, or just more mousy players around me, like going for a little while, kind of getting the ball rolling, and then even if I have more ideas, stopping, looking at the rest of the table and saying, okay, so what do you guys think? I don't want to do all of this. Let's hear some ideas. Sure. I mean, we're talking a lot about giving up the spotlight to other players. And you know, I think that may apply even to giving the GM a little bit of time. And I don't want to say, you know, let the GM railroad you. But if the GM's 
got a story in mind... And it's obvious. ...and you know you can easily derail it and just solve his problem... Don't be a jerk. Yeah, don't be a jerk about it. Maybe mention it to him and say, hey, you know, if I did this, I think that'd be a problem. Can you handle that? Do I need to do something? You know, can just kind of, you know, work it out with him. Pull the guy to the side and say, I can see the rails here. You know, extend that same courtesy and selflessness to the GM, too. He's there to have fun as well, and his fun is to write a story or run a game for you guys. You know, he needs a little something back. One of the immutable truths of role-playing that I have seen that has gone from system to system is that if the GM ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. Yeah. Because he's the person who has to be enjoying this game, because he's doing 90% of the work. And if he's not having a fun time, the game's going to suffer. Yeah. yeah. Now, again, with certain games, that's probably less true. Right. If you've got a GMless story game like Fiasco or In a Wicked Age, that's sure. one person who's having a rough night is mitigated somewhat. Yeah, or if you're running a real freeform game where the GM's just like, yeah, yeah, okay. Eh, maybe not, but your point absolutely stands. Yeah. The guy who has taken on the responsibility for making the game a success more than anyone else there. Really needs to maintain his engagement or it's going to suffer. And my counterpoint to the things you mentioned is a freeform game and a game without a GM both to me sound like the GM doesn't exist. So someone who doesn't really exist... Well, GMless game, yes, by by definition. (laughs) Right. But in a freeform game, it sounds like the GM probably is having fun because he's not doing work. He's sitting back and he's going, oh yeah, decide. You go out and do this and I'll make up something. Yeah. And so I would see that person as a very laid-back person who is going to have fun with no matter what you're doing because that's what he's literally saying. He's saying, here's a sandbox. Play in it. Yeah. I, I mean, I'd quibble with you on some of that, but that gets into some technical GMing stuff. And as I am not a terribly experienced GM, we're going to set that aside for a little bit. Your point definitely stands. Well, role-playing gamers are nothing if not pedantic and complainy. So, yes, but we know. have we have so little time for pedantry. Well, in fact, we're already over our pedantry uh, allowance. That's right. For this our, our allotment is exhausted. The tank is empty. That's a lie. <laughs> so I think we've kind of covered the whole out of game charity thing, and I'm sure other people have examples and. If you've got good examples in your game, please let us know about them. Yeah, that would be the sort of thing we would love to see in our comments section. Yeah, share them in comments, Facebook, all of our usual social media stuff that we'll cover at the end of the episode. We still have not yet talked about in-game charity. We talked a lot about what to do around the table, and this is great, and great advice, and people should follow this. Yeah. What about in-game? How can we use charity or promote it in our games? And this is promotion could be from player-to-player player to GM. Yeah, even GM to player. Although that's the most influential one, it should be the GM trying to influence the players, because honestly, the GM has the most power. Yeah, he's got the spotlight most of the time, in most groups, yeah. yeah. He may never be standing in the spotlight, right. but he's the one who's holding okay, it. Okay, I'll give you that. Yeah. You know, it's an interesting question. I think, first of all, give players the opportunity to be charitable. Depending on your game, this may be more or less difficult, If you're running a dungeon-crawling hack-and-slash, you'd have to work pretty hard. Really? Because I I can think of something right off the top of my head for that scenario. Paladins? Go ahead. The PCs finish with the dungeon, they schlep their way back to town, you know, sacks loaded with gold, and discover that the town has been hit by a wildfire followed by a flood. Everybody has, like, lost everything that wasn't up on the hill. Mm -hmm. So everybody has gathered into, like... A couple of buildings up on the hill, probably the town's castle and maybe an inn or two and possibly like a 
a noble estate or something like that. But basically the entire town is homeless. They're starving. Disease is starting to take hold. The players have this huge collection of resources. There's all these innocent people suffering. Nudge. Nudge. True. I did not think of that as just provide them opportunities. Yeah. So often, all that GMs provide for characters to interact with in the world is ways to fight it. Here's the bad guy organization of the week. You know, here's the monster of the week. Here's the dungeon of the week. And it's like the only way that characters, regardless of their supposed alignment, ever interact with the world is at sword point. That gets boring after a while. Yeah. True. I got to give some credit to one of the players in my mage game that just wrapped up recently. He was playing kind of this wacky character uh, because, hey, mage. But he Are was kind of. Are there non wacky characters in mage? No. Yeah, I thought it was disallowed. Continue. No, I think they actually have to be wacky. In fact, it's in the rules. It's kind of in there. But anyway, we were playing in Chicago. You know, World of Darkness, Chicago, the south side is not a pleasant place. Not a pleasant place in the real world, either. Yeah, well, in a world that's significantly darker and gothier than, you know, the real world, it's really unpleasant there. (laughs) And so he did a fair bit of work in there, just sort of helping the area grow, inspiring the arts and finding people who were in need and finding outlets for them and that sort of thing. It was just, it was interesting stuff that happened, in part because the GM said, what are you going to do? You're in charge of Chicago. Chicago's got problems. How do you want to help fix them? And just sort of left the door open for all sorts of solutions. And in part because it was a good way for him, I think, to make his character something other than just crazy, wacky guy. Or Captain Fireball. Well, that was a different character. Just having the opportunity for charity opens up a lot of doors. Showing a need is important. One word of warning to GMs, I think in a room with four doors, players will always find exit number five and take that. Oh, yes. I am awesome If they, (laughs) you know, this is a, a problem that can be solved with charity, you know, maybe give them some money or something. If they find a different way to solve the problem, if they find a different way to be charitable, don't try and say, no, 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 you, you should just do it my way or this way or just give him money, that's all he needs, something like that. The, the other thing, too, that I would add to that is, as a GM, if you're playing some characters that are priding themselves on being particularly heroic, and I have seen this before, and you present them with a situation where you've got a bunch of people who really would benefit from some charity, and the obvious implication is, well, you know, you can just give them some money and this, that should help the situation, a lot of players will be like, right, sure, like, we're going to do that little They'll figure out some way to make it as though the problem never existed in the first place, which, yes. you know, it can lead to some kind of hilariously heroic charity sometimes, which should absolutely be encouraged. Oh, yeah. Uh, Peter, I absolutely love you because you apparently play with people who are a lot nicer than everyone I know. <laughs> yeah. Because I will not say that there aren't people in my gaming group who wouldn't have done that on certain characters. But for the most part, what I have seen when I am playing is a whole lot of very uncharitable people. So while I do think that the whole nudge, nudge, wink, wink, this town is destroyed, maybe you should give over one of your magical items that could pay for uh, the wealth of a nation, Mm -hmm. hint, hint. But the one problem that I have there is the fact that you might have players that, when you said suggesting that they give money and you hit pfft, my initial response was, oh, he's going to say pfft, 
Like, we're giving away our hard-earned money. We had to fight a dragon for that thing. Yeah, you know? and that does happen. A lot of players don't make the connection there between their character and real charity. And honestly, I've been guilty of this, too. You know, you know I, I, I don't want to give that up. I might need that. Uh, no, I, I earned that myself. You don't want to give that stuff up in-game. And one way you could introduce this, if you've got players like that, rather than, oh, here's a need, and just showing them a need and then letting the player sort of blow it off, you know, if your world supports it, if your game supports it, have an NPC come around asking for charitable donations. You know, for an organized charity that may exist in your world. This is probably a lot easier in a game set in a pseudo-realistic world, because you can just say, you know, yeah, uh, somebody's asking for donations for the Red Cross, local fire department, something like that. Salvation Army, you know, the Knights of Malta, if you want something really cool. Yes, you know, going back to our last ep- episode four. Episode three. The Hospitaliers. Yeah. Yep. The Templars, even as you guys said. Yep. But, like, I, I think an in-game charity is a great way to establish this whole thing, especially if you somehow tie a player or players to that charity... Because mm-hmm. then this is almost like the paladins thing, where the paladin needs to pay a five percent tax on uh, what they get right. to their church. And I have played in games where we've set like up businesses and different things like that. And the whole idea of the game was, okay, you guys are a company, and so that changed certain house rules where all the stuff we got, like a certain percent of that, went back into the company itself. That mm-hmm. could very well be a charity we work for, where you guys are employees, they're giving you these benefits, but in order for those benefits, they're requiring these things, and some of it could be you give up to charity. Sure, sure. Here's a fun idea. Let's say you're playing a a loot-heavy game like D&D. Have somebody come up and say, hey, you've got all of this wealth. I'm looking to start a charity to serve this need. Can you help me? I'll name it after you. And going back to our discussion on alignment and stuff, have it be somebody who's obviously not a scammer. Yeah. Like, just make this, like, the most clear-cut... There's no way the characters can say, oh, well, this is just, you know, this is just the antagonist of the week pretending to be a good... No, no, this is a legitimate good guy. Somebody that's yeah. helped the party in the past would be a good way of, of kicking this Sure, off. somebody they have a, a relationship with. And especially if your players are inexperienced or young or not really familiar with the idea of giving selflessly. Don't be afraid to couch this in terms of, hey, this could be a contact opportunity for you, this could be a resource later. That is actually something that I really wanted to mention and say, is that mm-hmm. probably most of my solutions for getting players to go in with all of these virtues that we end up talking about is going to be rewarding them, because as you yeah. said, like what we were talking about the Skinner Box last episode, is if you give them infrequent rewards for what they do, it'll sponsor them to keep going and going and and doing more good things. You don't right. and of course the thing is, these rewards are the point one percent of the time, so it's not like every single time they're getting it, but also there are a couple bonuses to being charitable. People do tend to like you more. I mean, mm. if you give up if you give selflessly of yourself in any way that you can, your reputation will probably grow. More people might know about you. You might be able to give them things like experience uh, points, because 
we were talking about a, a video game where I was playing Heroes of Might and Magic 3, where if you found a chest, you had a choice of either keeping the gold in it or giving it up to the poor for experience. <laughs> okay, now I'm going to be the dissenting opinion, because I think that creates a perception of charity as investment in your, right. in your player character's yeah, which I have a problem with. I, I really have a problem with charity's investment. That said, before we get too far into that, Brandon, I think giving rewards for charity that are not purely just invest this time and money and you get X out of it, getting friendships in-game and contacts and you know role-playing experiences, I think is very valuable. If the reward is FaceTime for the player, you know, for the charity that they're doing... Or, you know, hey, your character now has a friend. Your char- uh, Somebody says, oh, no, no, you took care of my, my brother-in-law, you did this thing for me, let me help you uh, fix up your house, you know, something like that, where it's, it's not a direct investment, but the character and the player sees some good come out of it. I think that's valuable. Now, Peter, I think investment is also bad, just a straight-up charity as investment. So take that. Yeah, and I I also think that one of the best ways that you can reward that kind of charity, I actually have in our show notes here, warm fuzzies are a perfectly valid form of reward. Mm -hmm. Have the player characters set it up so that they're motivated to do something charitable to somebody who maybe hasn't done a lot of it in the past. And then, you know, let word reach them that that person has taken their kindness and passed it on, essentially. Yeah, paid paid it it forward. forward. Yeah. (gasps) I, I I think sometimes that kind of a notion is is a better way of handling charity than you know, it's like, congratulations you did good and it snowballed. The world is now a better place thanks to you getting it rolling. Okay, right. um uh, what I want to say is, I completely forgot about Pay It Forward. That could be a great way to inspire charity in the games, oh, is yeah. to challenge the players to do it. You right, have... somebody does something nice for them and just says yep, nope, go, go pay it forward, go Not do something. Not me, X number other people go do it. I like it. Yeah. That's, that's an interesting idea because it'll, it'll come out of nowhere. It's an interesting thing to happen because that doesn't happen a lot to player characters. Stuff isn't given to them usually without any... Stipulation on Any it. stipulations or any hidden barbs. Well, there is kind of some stipulation well, on this, but it's a very nice, friendly stipulation. And right. it's very much not like, a, I'm going to check back with you. It's like... Yeah, it's up to them. Their own morality will enforce that or not. Yeah, that's true. That's an interesting idea. I had not thought of that. That's cool. Uh, I had not thought of that either, and I'm going to now take, as I probably will for most of the episodes I am on, the counterpoint to this whole charity as investment is bad, and I'm going to say, yes, charity as investment is not a value that we should be thinking of as Christians, because it is in fact not charity. However, my main point is you got to start somewhere. I'll give and you that you've got to start somewhere. And I think it's okay if you've got players who aren't thinking about charity at all. If they're really sort of not in the right mindset for this, maybe dangle the hook a little bit. But I don't think it should reach the point where players do something with the expectation that they get repaid. This comes up all the time in video games and it drives me crazy. There are actually two I'm thinking of that are terrible and one's very old and one's very recent. The old one is a Japanese tactical RPG called Bahamut Lagoon. 
It was never even brought over to the U.S. I've only played it as a translated ROM for the Super Famicom. But you have an opportunity at one point in the game, this is the only opportunity you ever get to give someone money. One of your party members says, hey, can you give me like a thousand gold to do this? I mean, help me open my business. If I don't know that I can ever pay you back, but can you give me that? Obviously your answer is, yes, of course. Well, guess what? Several episodes later, you get that money back with tenfold or a hundredfold interest, something like that. It's, hey, I paid in, and I get a big reward out of it. All of the clues are, you should do this so you get more money later. That's quite literally, though, an actual investment. That's not Yeah, charity. it is. Yeah. The one that bothers me more, though, is Skyrim. Have either of you played Skyrim? I have not. No. I know I used to play Skyrim, but then I took an arrow to the knee. I... Ah, no, no, no. Bad, bad quarter of internet memes. <laughs> I'm still on Oblivion. No, I have not played Skyrim. Okay. Well, if you've you've played an Elder Scrolls game. All right, that's something. Yeah, I've, I've played Morrowind a bit. That's fine. You know, it's a free-roaming game. You can theoretically do all sorts of things. It's very open, etc. And there's, in every town in Skyrim, one beggar. And when you talk to the beggar... And you have the opportunity to give him something. Specifically, you have the opportunity to give him a single gold coin out of your purse of anywhere from several hundred to a hundred thousand towards the end of the game. One gold. And he says, oh, thank you, you're so kind. Tries to make you feel good. And then immediately you get a blessing, the gift of charity, that lasts for an hour or so. So you essentially pay one gold and get a stat bonus for an hour. Wow. It's not charity. In fact, the first one that you have access to of these is one that increases your speech ability. So speech is what defines how much money you get from selling items and how little you pay for items at the store. So you go to the store and with your having paid your beggar your one gold and immediately get more gold in return from your gift of charity. So, in other words, they're not actually beggars, they're just magical buff vending machines disguised as beggars. Yes, it's insert penny, get buff. Well, they have a similar thing in Fallout. There's the whole thing about karma. You do something good and you get raised on your karma. Mm -hmm. Is that something that you... Yeah, I mean, if we're talking even about kind of a karma reward, how many Mass Effect and Star Wars, the old, you know, Knights of the Old Republic style generosity moments are really just increased light side points. You know what I think probably the best example of video game charity I have ever seen is now that you bring What's up that? Mass Effect? Do you guys both play Mass Effect 2? Nope. Yes. Okay, there's this great part in Mass Effect 2 where you go into this area that's plague-ridden. Oh, yeah. And there's this guy who's sitting there, like, dying of this plague and humans are one of two races that's immune to it. He's absolutely sure that the humans have caused it, and he's, like, cursing you out. He's even waving a gun at you. And at some point in the con... You're just trying to get some information from the guy, and at some point he starts coughing really violently, and you can tell that he's dying. There's something called a Paragon Interrupt that you can do, where you just, you know, hit the one of the keys on the mouse, and you will do something that's... It interrupts the conversation. It's virtuous or genuine. Yeah, it, it interrupts the cutscene that's going on. And in this case, your character's like, whoa, whoa, hey, hey, stay with me. And you get down and you, like, use this uh, high-tech medical device on him to kind of, like, help him a little bit. He's like, I hated you. Why did you heal me? And your character's response is, it's 
what I do. I'm trying to help this entire area. That, I thought, was really cool. Yeah. The one thing that he hasn't mentioned in that is that the high-tech medical device has a limited number of uses that you use to heal yourself in-game. Yep, right. So you give up one of the uses of these things. It's called Metagel. Are strewn all about every level, and it's very plentiful, and this isn't very much. Well, depending on which difficulty level you're playing. Okay, true. For my difficulty, I, I, I was never using Metagel at all, and I was just collecting every single one and just getting credits. But in this one, using it was a choice, and it did hamper you in a little mm-hmm. bit. You, you definitely did took a somewhat statistical penalty, because A, this happens during the beginning of the game, so you might not have, like, the, oh, well, I've got the bonus metagel stuff now. Yeah, it those little penalties are usually a little more significant towards the beginning well, and of the it's, game. Well, and it's also significant that saving him doesn't really get you anything that letting him die doesn't. Mm-hmm. You'll find out where this thing that you're looking for is through other means pretty quickly. Right. You can either just help him because it's it's the humane thing to do, or not. Letting him die actually is greed. You get credits for letting him die. You rob him if you let him die. Because I've played through both as Paragon and Renegade. Oh, and okay. if you don't save him, he dies, and he's got a little data card that you can upload for credits. So it's, it's really a choice between charity or greed, hmm. and I will say it is very well played out. Cool. Okay, so obviously the, the Mass Effect scene that you're talking about is pretty cool. Obviously, there's the financial reward, financial charity aspect to it, but I guess it also makes the character more interesting, or at least lets you feel like your character is more interesting because it's, I mean, it's still a video game. It seems like introducing charity into a role-playing game gives the opportunity to make characters more interesting. Well, to be fair, introducing anything into a role-playing game probably has the ability to make characters more interesting. Sure, any virtue, certainly. Even vices. A character with a vice of greed could be very interesting to play. A character with a sister is more interesting to play than a character who has no siblings. A character with living parents is more interesting to play. Uh, And also rare. Yeah. Everybody wants to be Batman. I don't want to be Batman. My parents are dead! But yeah, it's, um... I don't know, it, it seems like when you have a character who's involved with a charity... I mean, it's it's extra characterization, but it also kind of gives you an opportunity to tell a story about that character and define them a little bit better and make them more of a whole person. Not necessarily. Oh, you want me to... It, it is, as long as it is explored, yes, but now we're going to go back okay. into the whole force... If it's, my guy gives up 10% as his paladin and we move on, I'll grant you that's kind of boring. Yeah. That's, here's my stat penalty. I'm going to take this one further and say that you could actually base an entire campaign around this, and it would be really fascinating to play. Oh, yes. Okay, I want to hear how you do that, because I cannot think how to do that off the top of my head. Okay, so this is going to dovetail back to Episode 4 again a little bit, folks, but take a bunch of characters that are uh, members of an order like the Hospitallers. Episode 3. That are supposed to be some kind of knight's errant or part of some organization that exists to do good. Set out, like, a code of conduct that includes a certain level of poverty right up front and make it so this particular organization is particularly rock-ribbed about that and does not tolerate, Mm -hmm. like, loopholes and workarounds and stuff. Mm -hmm. And then drop them into a world that is suffering terribly and watch what happens. I'll tell you another one. This is actually a game I've been wanting to run for a while. Is a colonization game. 
settlers from another continent come to a new world, very much... Catan? Uh, no, more uh, Settlement of the Americas-style game. I actually... Uh, role-playing Public Radio, which is a decent actual play podcast with some discussion episodes as well. They have a campaign setting, the New World campaign that they've written up. That's very much this, and that's what I'm thinking of here is basically D&D colonization. But a game like that, where your player characters are leaders of a colony or somehow important in a mission to establish a colony, and you've got a lot of people who need your help and protection and need your time and need your resources, it's not necessarily talking about money, because money doesn't matter much in an environment like that, but other people will need help. In fact, everybody needs help, and you'll certainly be doing things important for the colony as a group, you know, whether it's finding a source of water. You know, that's a a nice adventure right there. But giving of yourself to help the community survive and thrive and helping individual people in the community and building up relationships with them through this Christian charity, that's something that I really want out of a game like that because it strips away so much else uh, involved in a lot of dungeon crawly sort of games or D&D or something like that. It's just, here's your mission. Set up a civilization. Build from nothing. Help other people survive. Go. And you know, um, hearing you describe that, I'm going to go back to episode four again and say, combine that with the escort quest as like the prologue to that, where Mm -hmm. you're part of an order that's going to protect these people. It starts out with you sailing or, you know, magic airshipping or however you're going to get to the new world. Mm. You build up, like, all these relationships and you have, you know, various encounters along the way. You get there and then the campaign shifts gears and you're still trying to take care of these people as they're establishing civilization. Sure. I really want to run this now. This is a game I've really had in my head for a long time and this is a game I'd happily would run. I really want to play this, so when you run it, I am in. I want to play. You could run this game in any system and any, you know, super setting. High fantasy, low fantasy, science fiction, perfectly normal, everyday. You know, however you want to do it. It's just whatever trappings and crutches you want to have in the game. Yeah, Um, sure. I mean, you could do this as sci-fi colonizing a new planet. You could do it as... Sure. You know, fantasy colonizing a new plane. I mean, it's... Western. Yeah, you yep. could do it as, you know, setting up a, an asteroid colony, a colony in Antarctica. A Western would be awesome. The trappings don't matter. It's the what you're doing. But something like that is something I've been wanting to do for a while for those reasons. I think it would be important to have NPCs in a game like that because they are dependent. They are people for the players to give to. There's, there's a certain expectation in a game that you help the player char- your other player characters. It's a good sign that your group is broken if your player characters are constantly refusing to help each other. It's expected that player characters help each other out and give to each other. I think it's important to have NPCs who aren't part of that little clique of player characters. Because it's easy to give to the people right there next to you at the table. Oh, Less yeah. than investment. You're, you're not giving away. Mm, kinda, but it's also... You're all kind of all for one and one for all. You're the group. You each have the little player character logo spinning above your head, you know? But when it's somebody who isn't part of that, 
And yeah, somebody who isn't going to need to stay in the party and continue to contribute, yes, I, there's an investment aspect to it. I think it's more, of a lot more meaningful. The forced paladin charity, do we think that this is a good or useful thing, or is it detrimental? It depends what you do with it. Yeah. If it is a stat penalty, you pay for good stats by having less money, it's just a mechanical thing and it's not very interesting. I don't know that it's bad, but it's not charity. It's just these numbers balance out here. If the GM or the player or both working together or other party members maybe, if they expand on that, what are they giving to? What is that money doing? Is it coming from the paladin's pockets to the people directly? Is it just going through a church and is it getting skimmed off and is it going to bureaucratic fees? If you explore that, I think that's valuable, and I think that's interesting, and I think that's fun. It's especially interesting if it's a requirement of the character's order that he gives so much of this back to the order, and the order starting to get corrupt, and what does he do with that? Right. Because he wants it to actually go towards the legitimate causes that it's supposed to be going towards. And mm-hmm. if it's all going to bureaucrats and quote-unquote operating expenses... Right. church beautification projects. Then he's really going to start to question, why am I doing this... And then, you know, you've got conflict, you've got drama, and therefore you have an adventure. Right, you've got something interesting to do with that character. Yeah. So yeah, it's something to at least consider, and if you don't have that in your game, maybe say, yeah, you know, maybe invent it for you, because it'll pay off in the long run. Maybe not, you know, statistically, but it'll be fun. You'll have fun with it, that's why you're doing it. We were talking about video games, and as you mentioned, the when I mentioned karma and other things like that, the game I have played most often is Dungeons and Dragons. I am now getting more into Fate, but I have been very limited, so a lot of my examples and thoughts are going to be on D&D, because I still see that as... That's fine. In fairness, that's most of what I have played, honestly. I think all three of us have a pretty hefty D&D background. D&D has the alignment system, Mm -hmm. so very much one of the rewards of charity might be instead moving you up on the good scale. Yeah, And so, if someone is acting more in one of the vices, you move them more towards one of the evils. If then you reward both good and evil in a proper way, then being good can become its own reward, in mm-hmm. a sense. Good is rewarded. It is rewarded slowly, and it is re- rewarded in the far future. Evil is rewarded immediately, right now, and then punished in the far future. Yeah. I think there's something to that. A lot depends on how much you do with alignment. If alignment's purely descriptive, yeah, I think it's a nice, warm fuzzy for the player. If it's got mechanical ramifications, maybe you just go, oh yeah, that's that's what this character's like, and that just let it play out without touching that. It depends on your game. It's a cool idea. Certainly, I think if you're playing with an alignment system, it's not a bad thing to let that alignment system reflect your character instead of just being two letters or one or whatever. And folks, just as a reminder, we did do an entire episode on this. Episode three, I believe? Two. Two. Okay. You were talking about, you know, evil... Illustrating that this is an evil character through alignment changes and that sort of thing. Having a NPC publicly give to charities with that element of look at my largesse, look at how awesome I am, look at how rich I am, I can give all this money away. That just screams jerk. Well, it's it screams jerk, and it's a, I think a good and relatively common flag for players to say, aha, this is a guy I should not like. That's what I meant by it screams jerk. Yeah. <laughs> 
There's something else to consider there that that also has an effect on the, the world in that because this person is doing all of this, even if it's in no way sincere, that person will get a lot of a lot of the same like social benefits that you would see a genuinely virtuous character get, and they can sometimes mm-hmm. use that to insulate themselves from the bad stuff that they're doing. I know certain mobsters in the real world have been very generous and charitable because it helped them sure. stay out of law enforcement's gun sites. Yeah, there was a, a drug lord in Mexico for a long time who was very popular in his hometown because he built schools and all Al Capone stuff. was notoriously generous. He yeah. was not a nice guy. And it might actually be good, what you're talking about too, of getting those same social benefits. That's a good way to frustrate players and make them interested in this character because I'm doing it as a selfless act. I'm doing it to do good in the world. He's clearly doing it just to earn the goodwill of the people and the the nobles and to impress people. Why is he getting the same benefits as me? Ah! And now the players don't like this NPC and they want to bring him down. And if that's what you want, great. And if it's not, um, you get to have fun with that. The one thing I'm going to point out is showing the opposite road could lead to uninspiring charity or inspiring greed. Okay, that's true. In showing that the ideal does not hold, you are, in effect, endorsing its opposite, which is something that I would hesitate to do if your players are not fully invested in the idea of charity. Because then you are just saying, hey, this is a shorthand to get what you want. Right, that's a really good point. Uh, That's not something I had considered. Well, and to be fair, that's the way some people in the real world see it, too. So That's true. That can add some verisimilitude to your game. It is, but what I'm saying is the whole idea was we're trying to, in a sense, illustrate the benefits of charity in games. Right. You know what I would do then? I'd find a way to shine a spotlight on somebody who's directly benefited by that charity. You know, Even the charity that's given in bad faith the recipient of a large charitable donation, a soup kitchen or something like that, find a way to put the spotlight on them and say, well, you know, yeah, we get this money from them, but, you know, we've got some real needs here, and we're, we're doing good work, and the money's good, but we need this. And give a counterexample, yeah. maybe immediately after. Yeah, I think that's a great idea. I usually tend to enjoy moral ambiguity in games. Mm-hmm because I want my players to establish what they want to do. I, I can't, like, sit up and force my beliefs down their throat, because no. then they just won't want to be with me. Yeah, and I think we would all agree that you shouldn't. Yeah. yeah. Yes. So now we have this guy who is giving in bad faith, but the money he's giving is doing good works, and that provides the PCs with a very, very interesting moral situation. Do we bring down this bad guy who is causing other evil, but in a sense is helping these other things? He's not a nice guy, but he's helping. Right, or how do we do it without... Cutting off the help. Adversely affecting this charity we're genuinely interested in, or hurting these poor people whom he's feeding every day. Something like that. How do you take down the Baron without bankrupting the town? Right. Adding complexity up to a point is very rarely a bad thing. You know, making things a little more complicated and making players go, okay, so this isn't just he good, he bad, I kill bad dude. Orcs are bad, smash them with hammer. No. Right. I hate that in games. (laughs) That's right. You use a mace. (laughs) (laughs) 
Sorry. All right. Yeah. No. Your your point's absolutely. I bad. thought you used a collection of traps. Well, yes, but only if you're playing a game I haven't gotten my hands on yet and really want to. But yeah, I think I like that. I think there's some real value there, and especially again if you're playing with people who aren't Christian or are maybe slipping away from Christianity or just need to have that reinforced. Or you've got a baby. Mm. Baby Christian, I yeah, mean. Yeah, someone new to the faith. Someone whose faith you want to help reinforce. And again, it doesn't have to be someone whose faith is weak. No. I think of myself as Christian, but my faith needs an awful lot of reinforcing, you know? And it's good to, to do that, even amongst ourselves. Yeah, for sure. Go ahead and make that person who is really genuinely trying to do good with that bad money, make them a Christian or whatever is sort of the Christian analog metaphor. Yeah, the Christian analog in your game. Go ahead and make them that and say, we're trying. This is God's work. God puts everything to his use. All things to the glory of God. But it would be better if it was this way. And find a way to make it work in your game. Or give the, or, sorry, give your players the puzzle of how do we make this work. That may very well be that the only way that you can really make it work is to track down this guy who's doing it in bad faith and engender enough changes in him where he's still doing it, but now it's in good faith. Right. You know, take him down, defeat him. It may not be the option. It may be, or may not be the answer. Maybe it's, let's see what we can do to make this guy a better person. We have talked about charity for at least nearly two hours now. Editing is going to be a little hassle, but do you think we should sign off? I think so. Yeah, um, I think we've reached le- a pretty good stopping point here. Yeah, uh, let me say a couple things real quick. First, Brandon, thank you for stepping up and being a part of this podcast. It'd be a real struggle to have a child and do a podcast at the same time, and having a, a third host is really helpful. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> um, well, I knew this is where I wanted to be. It's probably a little bit of my pride also, because I do love pontificating about things. Right, and my pride certainly didn't factor into, hey, let me do a podcast with my name on it. <laughs> you know, where I get to say my name every opening. No. <laughs> Unrelated note. If you guys, listeners, have not gone to our Facebook page or our Twitter account or anything like that, go to our website, savingthegamepodcast.org, and we've got links to all of those social media sites out there. In particular, I want to encourage you to like our Facebook page. We're at, I think, 24 likes as of this recording. And once we hit 30, we get a couple of options. So if you haven't liked our Facebook page yet, uh, go ahead and do that real quick. It's facebook.com slash savingthegame. But follow us on Twitter at savingthegame. Uh, we're on Google+. We've got our website. We're on the iTunes store as well. We are now syndicated through rpgpodcasts.com, which is another great site to find a whole host of good RPG podcasts if you're looking for other material of good quality. And we are looking into some other options, and we'll keep you guys uh, kind of posted as those as they become available. Yep. And maybe most important of all, tell your friends, tell your family members if they're interested in it, or if you want to explain role-playing games to them pass it around at church, or whatever it is, we'd love to get a broader audience, not to stroke our own egos, but to help educate other people and help get this out to other people who may find it useful. Well, and one other thing that I would like to throw onto that is, 
Some of the feedback that we've gotten has been very valuable for us, too. So it's a little bit selfish to be asking for it, but, you know, sometimes people think of stuff that we didn't. Shocking, you know, three people yeah. sitting around a microphone can't think of everything about a specific topic that might be useful. So yeah. Well, we only have five opinions, because you know how they say if you ask three people, you get five opinions. That's true. Definitely feel free to interact with us. Send us an email, post on our Facebook page or Google Plus page, uh... Send us a tweet. If Once you listen to an episode, if you've got more thoughts about it, share it with us, and we'll happily share it with the world, and trust me, we'll have a conversation with you about it. Yeah. Uh, and we would love to have more episode ideas. Uh, yeah. We've got a good backlog of them, but if there's something a particular listener wants us to talk about or feels called to talk about or have us talk about for them to answer a particular question that's kind of causing a crisis of faith for them, please let us know. We'll be happy to give it a shot. Yeah. I can't promise that we'll you know, give the most educated Christian answer in the world, but we'll certainly give it our very best. And, well, that might be what guests are for. If someone sure. knows about something that we don't have, we aren't not open to guests. Yep. And I we're mean, looking I... to uh, line up some, having some hosts on the podcast at some point uh, to talk about things that they're particularly involved in. So, at any rate, anything else from you guys? No, I think, I, I think I'm good. Awesome. Well, then I think we're going to end it here. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening. Again, savingthegamepodcast.org. And on that note, have a good evening, folks. This has been a production of Saving the Game, copyright 2012. This podcast may be redistributed under a Creative Commons non-commercial, non-derivative license, provided that credit is given to savingthegamepodcast.org. Our music is by Ryan Humphrey. For past episodes, podcast news from our hosts, or to connect with us, visit our website at savingthegamepodcast.org. God bless, and happy gaming.